Amen. God bless you guys. It's really great to see you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Lord willing, we're going to finish up 2 Peter this morning. You know, in, in a short amount of time, uh, Warren Thompson, as we celebrated his life yesterday, went to be with the Lord. Patrick, as we know, went to be with the Lord. Uh, Peter went to be with the Lord. Greg French just went back and ha- had a memorial service for his brother in Colorado. And you know what, guys? The reality is that every time this happens, it's a reminder to us that this life indeed is but a vapor. But praise God that we have the promise to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? And guys, as I've said a hundred times, so one more time won't hurt you, Christians don't die, we just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? And there's no more pain and no more death and no more sorrow and no more tears And for us, it's not goodbye, it's see you soon. Amen? So take comfort in those words. At the same time, we do grieve. Even though we do not grieve as those without hope, we do grieve. And we as the body should be a source of comfort to one another. Amen? So let's be, just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how we might comfort each other. All right. Finishing up this letter. As we remind it, be reminded in context, Satan is doing a full court press on the early church. There's outward persecution through the Roman government, and there's also inward conflict or inward compromise as false teachers have come up from within. So these first century Christians are facing the potential of of being persecuted, some even being martyred or killed from the outside, and the word of God is being watered down, diluted, confused, or just plain, you know, mistaught from the inside. And in the middle of all of that, you can imagine, here these first century Christians are, and again, they haven't been walking with God all that long because it's only been around 30 years or so since Jesus ascended back into heaven. So the church is fairly young, they're fairly new in their faith, and in the midst of all of it, some heavy-duty stuff is happening. And so Peter, in prison himself, awaiting his own execution, as we know from tradition, writes this letter to them, written from a heart of urgency. And he's going to exhort them and to encourage them that in times like this, when there's the temptation to turn away from God, the temptation to say, you know, it's just not worth it. Can I say this? There's nowhere else we can turn. As Peter said, who else has the words of eternal life? Amen? The enemy will come to you and try to make you think you're missing out by serving God. The only people missing out are the ones who don't know God. Amen? And so this word is coming from Peter, this word of encouragement and exhortation in the midst of outward persecution and inward compromise. We saw last week, he encouraged them in the simple truth of God's word and contrasted that again with the false teaching that was going on within the body. The only way that you and I are going to recognize the lie is to know the truth. 2,000 years later, Satan's tactics haven't changed. Outward persecution, though we don't really face that very much, but certainly we see the inward compromise of God's word. We see false teachers proclaiming to be Christians. We see the hypocrisy within the church that breaks the heart of God. Too often we become the spokesman for every you know, charlatan that's out there. Especially as a pastor, I get the question, what about this guy? What about this guy that they found out stole $19 million? And what about that guy? And you know what, guys, we need to be pointing them not to men, but pointing them to Jesus Christ. Because he alone is perfect, and men will always fail us. So we move on now, and we're going to begin in verse 10. And we've been looking at the simple truth of God's word, and now Paul's final words to these early Christians living in this time of persecution, this time when scoffers had now come in and said, Oh yeah, you've been talking about the Lord coming back. Oh yeah, where is he? And it had only been 30 years at this point. Now we know that the scoffers scoff even more. It's been 2,000 years. You Christians have been talking about, oh, he's coming back. He's never coming back. We're gonna, we all know that he's told us he is coming back and God is faithful to his word. Amen? They mock the promise of his coming and they say, we're going to keep living in our sinful life because there's never going to be any judgment. There'll never be judgment for the way that we live. These early Christians, again, 
in a place where they may have begun to question, maybe he's not coming, maybe I should just go back to my old life. You know, when we start listening to the words of men instead of trusting in the word of God, we're going to be confused. And we're going to get depressed. And we're going to be anxious. And we're going to be fearful. Just listen to a stock analyst, you'll be real fearful. Talk to a mortgage broker, you'll be real anxious. But guys, guess what? God is in control. And God has promised to take care of you. And he's faithful to his word, amen? And we can trust in him. Their focus, and the same focus that we need to have as we begin in verse 10, should not be on the temporal persecution or the ungodly undermining of truth, but the surety of God's promises and the truth of his coming judgment. Now, I was given a little heat for the title of this morning's message by a few people already, but that's okay. I can take it. I, I'm not persecuted that enough at work, so maybe I needed a church. But I'm kidding. But I titled the message this morning, It's All Gonna Burn. It's All Gonna Burn. And living in the light of God's promises and His coming judgment. Guys, here's the reality. This is a pretty common saying back in the 70s. When I first started going to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa as a kid, often, just to get perspective on life, you would hear people say, don't worry about it, it's all going to burn anyway. And the truth is, it's all going to burn, amen? And as we're going to see very clearly in this text, Peter is letting them know, hey guys, I know it's crazy around you, I know you're worried about your circumstances, I know that it would be very easy for you to take your eyes off of God and get caught up in what's going on, just remember this, it's all going to burn. First time you get a ding in your new car, just remember that, it's all going to burn. So, if you're a note taker, two major points. First, we're going to see the surety of his coming. We've been talking about this for weeks, God's delay, or God's, you know, long-suffering does not mean that God is not coming. Amen? The fact that he suffers long is a picture of his grace, not a picture of the fact that he has abandoned his promise. So we see the surety of his coming. And then point number two, how we should live in anticipation of his return. And we'll see three points there. Number one, we are called to live holy. Number two, we are called to wait patiently And then number three, we are called to continue to grow spiritually. So let's begin in looking at a message titled, It's All Gonna Burn. Living in light of God's promises and His coming judgment. Let's first look at the surety of His coming. Remember in context, they've been saying, where is He? He hasn't come, where is He? He hasn't come, where is He? Certainly, oh yeah, He's not coming. They they question it. 2,000 years later, they question it even more. This word applies to us this morning. It says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. God is faithful to his word. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise of coming again, but he is long-suffering as he patiently waits for men and women to repent. As we saw in verse 9, he is not willing that any should perish. And that's the context of verse 10. But, so it says in verse 9, he is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance, but the day of the Lord will come. He's saying, look, he's long-suffering. He's going to wait. He wants to see everyone saved, but the day of the Lord will come. While he does suffer long, he will not suffer always. There's going to come a time when he will come back to take us home. Guys, In Peter's case, in Patrick's case, in Warren's case, any believer you know who's died recently, in their case, it was God's time to take them home. This was never their home. This is not our home. Amen? Heaven is our home. And guys, it's a joy, it's a blessing, it's a get-to. And the truth that the Lord is coming back, that the day of the Lord will indeed come, ought to put a sense of urgency and anticipation in the heart of everyone here. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, what is this, the day of the Lord? What does that mean? Now, there's some debate about all the things that this term encompasses. I will share with you what I'm convinced based on the study of God's word. The day of the Lord begins with the rapture of the church. 
What else needs to take place before we can be raptured? What's the answer? That, I thought you guys were paying attention. What, nothing. That was a trick question. What else has to happen before God comes, before he sends his son back, where he snatches us home? Nothing. Can he take us home today? What's the answer? Absolutely. So the rapture is the beginning of the day of the Lord. And as soon as the church is raptured, then begins what is known as a seven-year period called the tribulation. The second three and a half years of which is known as the great tribulation. During that time, as all the Christians are gone, as the Holy Spirit, for the most part, has really been removed from the planet, there's going to be a remnant of the Jews who are saved. There will be Christian people who become Christians. Uh, hopefully none of you in this room are going to be left behind. Amen. But if you are, it's not too late at that point, but now you're going to have to give your life to become saved. Persecution will be at an all-time high. But at the end of that seven years will come the second coming of Christ, and we will return with him. And then we will rule and reign with him upon the earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand year reign, Satan will be loosed one last time. There will be those who during that thousand year uh, millennial kingdom will be born during that time. They will have an opportunity uh, to leave the Lord and to follow Satan. Sadly, some will do that. At the end of that time, we know that the great white throne judgment will take place, and then God will wipe out this heaven and this, you know, our heaven here and this earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. That's the day of the Lord right there. That's a lot of stuff, huh? But the day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. And we need to live every day in anticipation of Jesus Christ coming back. Now we'll talk more about those. The, the things I just went over briefly, when we get to the book of Revelation, we'll look at them in detail, and we should be there in just a couple of months. Now, it starts with the rapture of the church, but notice what it says. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When does a thief come? When you don't expect it. When does a thief come? When you're away or when you're sleeping. The thief sneaks in, wants to be you know, undetected by the homeowner. And guess what? The return of the Lord will come when the world least expects it, but that should not be so of Christians. We should be living every day in anticipation of his soon return. Knowing that he could come back today, should we not live like he will come back today? Shouldn't that change the way that we view life? Shouldn't it give us a different perspective about our 401k? Now here's the good news, guys. We need to be good stewards of God's finances, amen? We should be good stewards. We need to work hard at our jobs. We need to you know, really take time when we invest the Lord's money in things. And investing the Lord's money is a good thing to do. But we just need to make sure that that's not our security. That our security is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Know this, that it says there, he comes like a thief in the night. To me, it's not by chance that it's in the night because it's in the midst of darkness that it says that the Lord will take the church away. Guys, when did the Lord preserve Noah and wipe out the rest of the earth? In the midst of of incredible wickedness. When did he remove righteous Lot and bring righteous judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah? In the midst of great wickedness. And I believe that that's exactly what the days will be like according to scripture, that as it is in the days of Noah, so will be in the, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And guess what, guys? As we look around, we're living in the days of Noah. Amen? Did you ever think we'd have to vote on whether or not marriage was between a man and a woman? Is it amazing? Now, you know I'm not a super political guy, but I'm going to just share. Can I just share my heart with you for a second? Because I'm going to. Whether you say yes or no anyway. But here's the point. People say, Dave, Pastor Dave, you don't, you don't talk to us about this stuff enough. And I'm only going to share this with you because I've had so many people come up to me, and I'm in absolute shock at the things I'm hearing people tell me. I do not believe, Pastor Dave's opinion, and I believe a biblical one, that a Christian should ever vote for anybody who is pro-abortion. Amen? 
how in the world, I don't care how great his economic policy is, I don't care how charismatic he is, I don't care what his foreign policy is, if he's for slaughtering innocent children, we should never vote for him. If both of them are, don't vote for anybody. Amen? But I've had people come to me, well, Pastor Dave, it it sounds like you're inferring maybe we should vote for this one guy over somebody else. Okay, let me make it clear. Vote for the pro-life guy. Amen? How about that? Oh, we just lost some more people at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. You know what? I'm selling this to you because I love you guys. Amen? I love you, and it's ridiculous that I, you know, and then I had someone say to me, well, I think Prop 8's okay. What? Are you out of your mind? Guys, we can't legislate morality. We're going to legislate somebody's morals. It might as well be the Lord's. Somebody's are going to be legislated. Somebody's going to vote in what their position is on marriage. God created it. God defines it. Let's stand up for it. Amen? Okay, sorry. Pastor Dave getting outside of his mind. But here's the point. The point is that we are living in wicked times. We are living in times when they call good evil and evil good. When you are mocked as a hater and a homophobe, if you would dare say that, that marriage should be a man, between a man and a woman the way God created it. You are mocked if you make a stand for unborn children. People laugh at you, oh, who are you to get into my womb and defy? Hey, I'm not worried about yours, I'm worried about the baby that's in there. I had a, a discussion at work that didn't go so well and I had to kind of go back and talk to somebody. But the guy was saying to me, he stuck a sticker for a presidential candidate that I'm not voting for on my, uh, over, a, over a cross that I have on my desk. So he put it on top of it. And so I just peeled it off. And then he goes, yeah, I just had to even things out. I said, oh, so you're making it very clear that a vote for that guy is a vote against Jesus Christ pretty much, right? Is that what you're saying? He's like, well, I, uh... And then he said, I said, he said, well, you're just a one-issue voter. I said, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. He goes, don't you think that's narrow? I said, yeah, well, so is the way to heaven. But I have no problem with it. Yes, I'm voting for the pro-life guy. Every time, everywhere, all the time, for the rest of my life, until I die, that's it. And then he says, well, you know what? you need to not be so vocal about your faith at work because this is a secular environment. I said, not when I'm here. You know, here's the reality. As Christians, wherever we go, it ceases to be a secular environment. We are called to be the salt and the light. And then he started talking about being pro-choice. I said, you're not pro-choice, you're pro-baby killing. He goes, oh, that's offensive to me. I said, what's more offensive is children being slaughtered. That's what's offensive. Now, I'm sorry if I'm getting a little wound up this morning, but here's the point. We're living in the days of Noah. Children are being slaughtered and it's being called birth control. Marriage is being redefined and if you don't believe the way the world does, you're a homophobe. Everything that is evil is being called good and that which is good is being called evil. What does that tell us? Look up for your redemption draweth nigh. We need to be ready for the Lord's return because we are living in the days of Noah. He's going to come as a thief in the night but only for those who don't know the Lord. You know what's interesting? When you, the world's going to be surprised. We as Christians should not be. We should not be at all when the Lord comes back. I mean, again, we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season, amen? If you were unaware, we're living in rapture season. Amen? It says in 1 Thessalonians, let me read you, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. We're not in the darkness, so we should not be surprised. You are all sons of light and sons of the day who are not of the the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Here's the point. The Lord is coming soon. We should not be napping. We should be busy about his work. Guys, we have a vapor of time to serve him and a vapor of time to stand up for him. I will say this, the greatest thing that will keep a young woman from having an abortion is have her come to know Jesus Christ. 
And that needs to be the number one thing we focus on. But with that being said, somebody needs to speak up for unborn children. Amen? Now, I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you've had an abortion, God is a God of love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen? And you need to know if you've asked him to forgive you, he has forgiven you. And you will see that child in heaven one day. I'm thoroughly convinced of that truth. I always want to be balanced when I share this. So, as we continue on, he's coming at, the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. No one knows the day or the hour, but we as Christians should live in expectation. And then he says, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Or in other words, it's all going to burn. As it says right there, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The word there, great noise, is a rushing noise. The crash of a devouring flame or the whizzing of an arrow as it flies by you. It's going to happen quickly. And when it happens, God is in control. And it says the elements will melt with fervent heat. The word melt there is to loose or untie. You know what, guys? Here's what I believe. Here's what it describes. Since the moment of creation, God's been holding it all together in his hand. And all he has to do is let go for one nanosecond. And we're going to see an explosion. Well, we won't. But there will be an explosion like there's never been before. You think splitting an atom is an issue. You think an atom bomb is a problem. What in the world happens when God lets go? And that's what I believe. It says it will melt away. It will be loosened. It will be let go of. And when it does, it's going to be destruction. It says both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Guys, all that we are treasuring on this earth is going to burn. Amen? Now, I'm not, again, let's be balanced. Okay, so should we go wear sackcloth and ashes and go live in a cave because we don't know? Some people go to that extreme, but here's the point. Let's not put too much emphasis on our stuff. It's all passing away. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And that's where our focus should be. Amen? So often we can be, you know, you've heard me use this illustration before. It's like shoveling a pile of dirt. Or fighting over deck chairs on the Titanic. Amen? I got a better deck chair than you. Dude, the ship's going down. I'm thinking helicopter right about now, amen? Too often we're thinking about how comfortable we want to be in that which is perishing instead of being focused on that which is eternal. The exhortation here is this. It's all going to pass away. All that men have built up, the works that are in it, the, the earth itself, everything upon this planet is going to go away. All that man has strived to build, to attain, it's all going to burn. So the day of the Lord begins in darkness. He raptures the church. The tribulation comes and it ends with this incredible explosion that wipes out the heavens and the earth as we know them today. That he might create a new heavens and a new earth and I can't wait to see that. Amen? Between these two great events, as I said, between the the beginning at the rapture and the end with the destruction of the earth is the tribulation, the coming of Christ to the earth, the millennial kingdom upon the earth, the release of Satan, the rebellion of those who run to him, Satan's final confinement, the great right throne judgment of the lost, and then after that, what Peter has just described or will describe, the new heaven and the new earth will come into view. So, we can rest assured that Jesus Christ is coming back. We can rest assured that seven years before that happens, the church is going to be raptured. We can rest assured that that could happen today. And we can trust and live every day in light of the fact that our God is faithful, he's in control, and guys, we know it's rapture season because we're living in the days of Noah. Amen? And let me just say this, depending on how things turn out in the election, it may be much more like the days of Noah and not much closer to his return. Amen? So, living in the light of God's promises, His coming judgment, knowing that it's all going to burn, we've seen the surety of His coming. So how do we now live? How do we respond in anticipation of His return? 
First of all, God has called us to live holy. Look at verse 11. Therefore, since, the, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since the world and everything in it is going to be burnt up, since the stuff that we're pursuing and investing our lives in here and now is really perishing. And again, keep that balance. God's called a man to provide for his family. A man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says. Amen? So we are to be faithful to provide. We are to be faithful to work. It says in Genesis 3 that the man will toil by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life. So we are to work, but guys, we're not to put our faith in our stuff. We're not to put our hope in our bank account, our investments. Our hope is in Christ, especially when we realize that indeed it's all going to burn. So what manner of persons ought you to be? Now, the scoffers continue in their ungodly behavior. They walk according to their own lust. They question, where is the promise of his coming? Those who live as if righteous judgment will never come. But as Christians, we ought to be different. While the world lives like the world, while the world has no uh, spiritual barometer, does not have the Holy Spirit, we as Christians should live different. We've been born again. We've been filled with the Spirit of the living God. And we should be living every day in light of God's promises and in anticipation of a soon return. So what matter of people should we be? Well, as we've already talked about, we should not be materialistic. Why? It's all going to burn. Jesus said, a man's life does not consist of the things he possesses. Pour your life into serving the Lord and walking with him, and physical things will become of very little importance to you. I've noticed, and I have a long way to go, but I have noticed the more I fall in love with the Lord, the less I worry about stuff. I still have a long way to go, but I know it's just amazing, and I'm sure we can all testify of that. When we live in light of eternity, uh, that the temporal will hold very little importance to us. And it says there, what manner of persons be in holy conduct and godliness, living in light of the soon and coming judgment. It ought to impact our behavior when we understand that we could be standing before the Lord at any moment. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought or said, Lord, don't come right now? I guarantee you, if you didn't think it out loud, you were really glad he didn't come at that moment. Don't you want him to come back when you're in prayer? Right now would be good. I'm at church. I'm actually taking some notes. Most of you are awake. I mean, this would be good. But often, it's when we lose sight of eternity that we get so caught up in the things of the world and we cease to hear the Holy Spirit's conviction And we harden our hearts. And the exhortation is very clear here that we are to be people of holy conduct and godliness. If we truly believe that the earth will be righteously judged, dissolved with fervent heat, we should live holy and set apart lives, again, in anticipation of His coming. You know what else I believe? And we're going to see this as we move on. When we live godly lives, we become a godly testimony. Is the world looking for answers today? What's the answer? And I believe that when we live in a way that honors God, even though some will mock us, to others, it will be the very thing that will open up their eyes that there's something different. They will see the Holy Spirit in us. Notice what it says there in verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So notice in context that living a godly life of holy conduct hastens the day of the Lord's return. As we live sold out for God in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, we draw closer to the day that the Lord will return. We hasten His return. Now, as we know, there are other things we can do to hasten the return. Now, God already knows when it is, and it gives you a headache to try to understand that, right? How did God know? Where was God before, before time? He was there. Where where, where, where? Where was he when there was no space? He was there. I don't get it. That's right. He's God. You're not. Amen? Aren't you glad you serve a God you can't figure out? If I could figure him out, he wouldn't be much because I'm not that smart. I just praise God that he's so great. Amen? 
But in the midst of all of that, we have this exhortation that we can hasten it. How? Through prayer. We can hasten it by sharing our faith, fulfilling the Great Commission. Why? When is Jesus coming back? At the fullness of the Gentiles. When that last person that he's waiting for gets saved, the church is out of here. Now, I will say this too. Don't answer out loud, but some of you would agree with this. You know, I'm not really ready for him to come yet. You know, I've got some things I'd like to do down here before he comes. Hey, I've got a grandchild due in February. Would I like to see my grandson? Absolutely. Am I excited? You bet. But would I like Jesus to come back to? Yes. I'll see my grandson in heaven. Amen? But I'll tell you, there's times when, can I encourage you? If you're more focused on what you would miss out on this earth, you have not fully grasped how great heaven's going to be. Nobody's in heaven going, oh, this is it? I thought this was going to be better. If any of you know Warren Thompson, the most joyous person I've ever met in my life. I mean, out of control. I mean, I've never seen the guy. It doesn't matter what's happening. Just happy all the time. And I thought, what is that guy like in heaven? I can't even imagine. And there's the truth. Guys, heaven is so much better than this place. This is a fallen world. It's perishing. Now, we're called to be here until God sends it, brings us home. Or, or we, we breathe our last breath because God says so. So we need to be busy about his work while we're here. But guys, we ought to live in excited anticipation of heaven. And if we had any clue how great it was going to be, we'd have a greater heart and passion to see others come with us. Amen? Let's live holy conduct, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. We hasten it by living godly lives. We hasten it by our holy conduct. It says, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Guys, it's all going to burn. Is this, tell me that wasn't the perfect title for this text. It says it's all going to melt with fervent heat. Everything here that is important to us is temporary and it's so biblical that indeed it is wood, hay, and stubble. It's passing away. It's chaff. It's not that important. Guys, we can get caught up in stuff and be bummed out about that which is perishing and forget about that which is eternal. If you are here this morning and you've been born again, you're going to heaven. You are a child of the king. You've been adopted into his family. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And soon and very soon, you'll be around his throne forevermore. Amen? Guys, what's better than that? People say, what's your retirement plan? Heaven. It's the ultimate retirement plan. Indeed, at his coming. When is it going to happen? When the Lord comes... Finally, in the end there, everything is going to melt away. And you know what I thought about? When the Lord came to Mount Sinai, do you remember that the whole earth shook when he came to Mount Sinai? Do you remember that when Moses came down, he was glowing? Why? Because he was in the presence of Almighty God. And there was a fire on top of Mount Sinai. And when he would lead them through the, the wilderness, it was a pillar of a cloud, but also a pillar of fire. Fire represents the presence of Almighty God. And guys, if we're his and we're in his presence, it only melts away the dross and it purifies us and makes us more like him. But if we don't know him, it will burn us up. When he comes back, the world will be destroyed because it is so rebellious toward him. People are worried about global warming. This is the warning, warming they ought to be worried about. Amen? Now I've just, I just alienated eight more people. <laughs> Pastor Dave. You know I love you. If you believe in global warming, God bless you. And you know what? We should be good stewards of the earth. But we don't worship it. We worship the creator, not the creation. Amen? So it's not mother, not my mother. Amen? Santa Cruz, you would think, man, the earth had a lot of kids because all these people drive around the mother earth stickers. But guys, my heavenly father is not married to the earth. And we follow him. And we're to be good stewards of it. 
But we don't worship this planet. We worship the Lord. Verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the best part about the new heaven and the new earth. The best part about it, we know it's going to be phenomenal because God's going to make it and there's going to be no sin there, so it's going to be great. But what it says is where righteousness dwells. I'm going to be very transparent with you. There are times when it would be a lot easier to pastor a church somewhere other than Santa Cruz. Anybody bear witness with that at all? I talk to my buddies and they're, they're like, yeah, man, you know, we got a building for like $8 and, you know. The city's pro us, and be, you know, and you're thinking, man. But here's the point: we're here for a reason. God's called us to be salt and light of this place, amen. And while we're here, God has a plan for us. And right now, righteousness doesn't dwell here, but God's called you and I to be salt and light. And I'm looking forward to the day when we're going to be upon the earth when righteousness dwells there. No more sin. Aren't you glad? God is so good. Coming of the new heavens. And the new earth, let's keep it all in perspective. Let's live holy, let's shine brightly, let's proclaim the righteous truth of the gospel and and live in anticipation of his coming. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, continuing on the point of living holy, looking forward to these things. Again, we need to be looking forward to the Lord's return. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, how is that even possible? The only way you can be in peace when he comes back is if you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. The only way you can be found blameless is if your sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. But with all that being said, as born-again believers, I pray that he would find us busy about his work when he comes for us. Amen? There's seven words I want to hear. I know you want to hear them too. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the only retirement package we should be shooting for. That ought to be the focus. So living in light of God's promises, his coming judgment and his coming judgment, the surety of his coming and how should we live in anticipation of his return? Live holy. Live a life blameless. We should not take our sin lightly. We should not act like it's no big deal if we're living outside of God's will and shrug it off as nothing. Guys, sin is a big deal. Amen? And when we sin, it ought to drive us to our knees. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again as well. I believe the measure of spiritual maturity is the distance of time between when you sin and when you repent. I believe the more mature you become, that that time becomes less and less. Amen? The word's coming out of your mouth and you're repenting already. Why? Because it grips your heart. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Second of all, along with living holy, living in anticipation of his return, we need to wait patiently. Look at verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why is he waiting? Lord, why haven't you come back? Lord, you say it'll be as in the days of Noah. This place seems worse. Billy Graham once said, if God doesn't rain fire down in San Francisco, he owns Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And we can look around and think, why hasn't he come? You know why he hasn't come? Because he is a God of grace and he's waiting for that last person to be saved. And aren't you glad he waited for you? I'm so glad he waited for me. And praise God. So we should not look at it as as God's indifference, but God's grace. And then he says this, and I find this interesting. We're down to the final words of Peter. Look what he says. As also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He calls Paul his beloved brother. There are many that talk about this, you know, point of anger or bitterness or, in, or difference between Peter and Paul. I've never heard that before. People talk about that. I love here that in the final words of Peter, he speaks of Paul as his beloved brother. Now, Why did they have a difference of opinion? Well, back in Galatians, Peter goes into Galatia, and when he first gets there, he goes in and sits and eats with the Gentiles, not worried about the fact that they're Gentiles. But then, when some Jews come into Galatia, 
He's worried about the outward appearance and he shuns the Gentiles and sits only with the Jews. Paul comes in and sees it and looks at Peter, one of the pillars of the faith, not the first pope like some would say, but one of the pillars of the faith, and he rebukes him openly in front of everybody. Pete, what are you doing? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. What are you doing? And he calls him a hypocrite. He calls him out. But notice here that Peter still calls him my beloved brother. What happened? Peter received the rebuke. He may not have received it right away, but he realized Paul's rebuke was coming from a heart of love and concern. Guys, let's not be mad at the messenger. Let's examine our own hearts, amen? Lord, are you, is there something you want to tell me? Something you want to minister to me? Paul stands up and rebukes Peter, accuses him of being a hypocrite, and now he calls him his beloved brother. And then it says there, verse 16, as also in his epistles speaking in them to these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Some people will take the words of Paul and twist them up. And in this case, I believe it's actually the context of what is happening. Some of the Pauline epistles were written earlier. They've taken these letters, these false teachers are in there, and they're twisting up the words of, the, of, of Paul's letters and making them mean something else. Be aware. Just because somebody quotes the Bible does not mean that they are speaking biblical truth. Amen? Because they can take it out of context. You've heard me say it. You take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. And there's a lot of cons out there. There's a lot of people out there taking the word of God and using it for their own greed. The whole word of faith movement is built on it. If I hear about a seed offering one more time, I'm going to throw up. Taking the word of God out of context to pad your own pockets. And he's exhorting them that that's what happens. That all around you, they can take the word of God, unstable, unlearned. They twist the scriptures. And doing so, they're trying to tempt people to walk away from living truly holy lives. Remember this, you guys. The word of God will also produce a godly action. Remember when the woman was caught in adultery and she was exhorted by the Lord? He first showed her grace. He said, where are your accusers? First, remember what happened? The guys were there and they all, all had the rocks ready to stone her. And Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Remember that? Then he bends down and starts to write in the sand. We don't know for sure what he wrote, but I have an idea he wrote. Rabbi Hillel, adultery with Delilah or whatever. Start writing their names down. And it says, from the old to the young, they started dropping their rocks and walking away. The old guys first. Why? They had the most sin for him to write. I can just move over. I need a little more space. Let me... You imagine? But people love to quote that. But he was without sin, cast the first stone. Come on. But remember how that ends. He says to her, where are your accusers? Well, there aren't here. Neither do I accuse you. But then he says this, go and sin no more. The exhortation of God's word is, yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're redeemed. But go and sin no more. The exhortation to us should not be where people twist scripture to give us cheap grace. See, Paul preached a message of grace and some people had taken that message and were using it as a license to sin. And I believe that's specifically what he's talking about here. But the truth is that the word of God does not give us a license to sin, but freedom from it. Amen? So, we are indeed, if we're to grow spiritually, let's see two last things we're going to see here. In verse 17 and 18. And remember, these are the final words of Peter. He's going to disappear out of Scripture right here. These are his last two verses. The final words that he's going to share. He says this. And the two things we're going to see. Two exhortations and then finally a benediction. The first exhortation to those, if they're going to grow spiritually in the midst of persecution, surrounded by false teachers, is to remain steadfast. Look what he says. You therefore, my beloved... Since you know this beforehand, beware also, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. 
He says, since you know the word of God, since you know there are false teachers coming from among you, you be faithful so you don't fall. You don't walk away from your steadfast trust in the true and living word of God. Don't you love that Peter's last words as he's about to be put to death, he's about to lose his own life, the final words in scripture as he's writing to persecuted brothers is, Hang in there, guys. Be faithful. Remain steadfast. Keep the faith. Don't take your eyes off the Lord. You know what? It's one thing to die yourself. It's another thing to tell someone you love to be willing to lay down their life. I can tell you it would be a lot easier for me to lay down my life than to tell my boys or my daughter or my son-in-law to do it. But that's the exhortation here coming from Peter. Be steadfast. Remain faithful. Second of all, keep growing in grace. So what he says there. Being led away with the error of the wicked. Don't fall into that. You remain steadfast, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Guys, the grace of God can't get any deeper. It's already deeper than we can imagine. Amen? He can't grow in grace. He can't learn anything. He's perfect. Amen? But we can grow in his grace. We can grow in the knowledge of him. The word knowledge there is gnosko, which means to know by experience. Not to know about God, but to have intimate fellowship with God. Guys, we've got to go beyond, I believe in God. The demons believe and tremble. Believing in God won't save you. It's having intimate fellowship with God that will. Amen? Beyond religion, into relationship, he's exhorting them to be steadfast, but also to grow in their grace and their knowledge of the Lord. Christianity is like a greased pole. You're climbing up or you're sliding down. You're growing in your relationship with him or you're falling away. I do not believe there's any such thing as a stagnant walk. Are you pressing in or are you falling away? Are you growing in your relationship with him Are you getting caught up in the things of the world that he's no longer the priority of your life? Peter, his last words, exhorting them, remain steadfast in the face of persecution. Don't turn away when the false teachers come. You know the word of God. You keep growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. And it says, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Paul's last words are, God gets all the glory. If it's possible to be grieved in heaven, Peter would be grieved. Why? Because people prop him up. They have statues of him. People kiss the feet of his statue. They refer to him as being the first pope. They magnify him way more than he ever should be magnified. You know what? Men can be an example to us, but there's only one whom we worship. And there's only one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. Nobody else should be glorified. Nobody else should be lifted up. Nobody else should be honored in such a way. Christ alone. And I love that he ends his letter that way. And I love that as he ends the letter, encouraging them to grow in grace, he's about to die, and we don't see complaining, do we? We don't see murmuring. We don't see him saying, I'm in prison, someone send me something. Come on, man. I sent you two letters. Hook a brother up. He doesn't say that. You know what he does? To him be all the glory. I'm right in the center of God's will. If he takes my life, it's all worth it. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? Let me close finally with this. One last thing. I want you to note what he doesn't say. These are Peter's last words. Now, if he were the first pope, do you think he might have mentioned that? Do you think he might have talked about things like uh, infallibility of his claims? Maybe he would have pointed out a successor to be the next pope since he was about to die. Maybe he would have talked about purgatory. I don't see that in here, do you? Any penances or pilgrimages or talking about indulgences or extreme unction or mass or prayers for the dead? None of that's here. Why? Because it's not biblical. Amen? Now I've chased the rest of the people out of church. I'm not going to need a building. We can meet in a phone booth after today. 
But I want to point this out because too often people proclaim things to be true that are not in the Word of God anywhere. And Peter's exhortation here is the exact opposite. To him be all the glory. Don't look at me, look at him. Don't honor me, honor him. I'm just a tool in the hand of my master. I'm writing his words, not mine. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks, and that's the only reason there's any authority. Praise God for a man like Peter. Praise God that he was a man used mightily by him. And even though we can look at his example and learn a great deal from it, we don't worship him. We worship Christ alone. Amen? So, in closing, it's all going to burn. Amen? We're living in light of God's promises and his coming judgment. We have the surety of his coming. Jesus is coming back, you guys, and I can't wait. How should we live in light of the fact that he's coming back? Let's live holy, let's wait patiently, and let's continue to grow spiritually. May we never be satisfied in where we are with the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this letter that you've given to us by your spirit through your servant Peter. Father, we thank you for these words of exhortation, these words of encouragement. I do pray, Lord, that we would leave here being faithful stewards of what you've given us, but Lord, not allowing them to become too important in our lives. Lord, realizing that indeed, All that we have is passing away. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Father, we pray for our coworkers. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for unsaved family. We pray for divine appointments this week. Help us, Lord, to reflect you. Help us, Lord, to hasten the day of your return by living godly and holy lives, by being prayer warriors, by fulfilling the Great Commission. We long to see you face to face. Lord, in truth, this morning while we miss them, we envy Peter. We envy Patrick. We envy Warren. We envy all those who've gone before us that are in your presence. But Lord, we know we're still here because you're not done with us yet. So help us, Lord, to be faithful with this time that we have to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.